Good day, everyone, and thank you for standing by. Welcome to today's ESPN Media Call with Marcus Spears and Dan Orlovsky. Before we begin, a quick reminder that today's program is being recorded, and at this time I'd like to turn the floor over to your host, Ms. Allie Stoneberg. Thank you, Greg. Good morning. A very special welcome to all of the media members on today's call. I hope all of you and your loved ones are healthy and safe. Thanks for joining us on the phone today. This is the call I've really been looking forward to. As many of you know, ESPN is relaunching NFL Live next week, and that means the show will air at a new time, 4 p.m. Eastern, and it will feature a new commentator crew. Laura Rutledge is our new host, and she'll be joined by a consistent roster of NFL analysts, including Dan Orlovsky and Marcus Spears, both of whom are on the call today. So before we get into questions, I'd like to invite Dan and Marcus to share a few opening remarks, and Dan, we'll kick it off with you. Appreciate it, Allie. Uh, hello. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, a couple of things uh, just to start off of. Uh, first of all, thank you guys for your time. Uh, this is obviously the first step in a really cool process for us. and just want you guys to know kind of why Myself and Marcus are so excited for this new kind of opportunity and venture and then kind of what to expect from the show. I think, first of all, you know, something that maybe not a lot of people know is Marcus and I came out of school the same year. We were in the same draft class. So we spent a lot of just interaction together, senior bowl, um, combines, all that stuff. So I've known Marcus for a long time. And uh, Marcus quickly became somebody that, you know, I was friendly with when we played, but then when we started to kind of work together over the last 18 months, he was someone that I automatically just clicked with because I appreciated his intellect, his energy, his enthusiasm, but also the ability to go after him and uh, challenge some of the things he said, knowing he wouldn't take it personal. And then I think quickly he realized um, I was the same way, that Marcus could challenge the things that I was saying. And it forced us both to be better, to think deeper, and that obviously – makes it better for people who are trying to watch and learn football. So the person I'm working with as far as analyst markets that I've done with in the past is a big deal. I have uh, really over the last year kind of gained appreciation for Nina Kimes. Um, to be honest with you guys, I was probably one of those people as a player that did not think highly of people who talked football that did not play it. Uh, pure ignorance on my end. And then just, working with Mina a little bit, but also just I, I am in a group chat with Mina. And, you know, just kind of hearing her talk football, it was so easy for me, and this is truth, to I've many a times messaged Mina saying, you know more about football than the person talking about it who played it. And so the opportunity to work with her and uh, collaborate with her, I'm super fired up for. And then for Laura, um, you know, I've worked with Laura for about a year now, uh, at the absolute top of the pro food chain. She is fantastic at what she does and then uh, really appreciates talking football and learning about football. I've worked with Key a little bit, um, and obviously I love to um, get into it with Keyshawn because I know he, um, he is he's willing to kind of share his thoughts and speak his mind. So just the core of the group I'm fired up for um, – you know, this gives us our own platform, our own opportunity to create and be and become whatever we want to become. And uh, I know that I take immense pride in that. It's kind of how I got into this business. And I think we take immense pride in trying to become 
the best, most educational, most entertaining pro football show on television. That is the goal. And those are the lofty expectations for us as a crew. We've got to figure out the vibe of our show, but it's definitely going to be young and it's definitely going to be vibrant. Um, we've got to figure out kind of our personalities. We, we know a little bit about them, you know, how they're going to work together, but our friendships are real. Our interactions are real, and that's probably going to be the centerpiece of what we're going to do. We've got to um, challenge the way people think. We've got to have the conversations that other people aren't ha- having. We've got to educate the viewer in ways that other people aren't doing, and that's kind of the focal point of our show. Um, we got to teach people, and people got to get to know us and know football. Um, they should walk away from that show knowing us and knowing football better. We've got to make, we've got to have some uncomfortable conversations uh, when it comes to I think this, I don't see it that way, and that really is when people start to learn. We've got to make people's 40 minutes worth it. You know, excluding commercials, we got 38 to 40 minutes. We got to make it make it worth people's time, and that's. Um, that's the goal. So you're going to see intensity. You'll see passion. You'll see authenticity. Um, you'll see us talking about what's going on versus what's interesting, a lot of those things. So um, there might be a breakdown or two in there from myself as well. But um super fired up for the opportunity. I think our goal is to realize, not our goal, but our focal point, our mindset is we start from the bottom now. Um, all of us have done some things, whatever you want to quantify them as. We start from the bottom now, and the the goal is to um, be on an absolute rocket ship to the top, and uh, we'll do it one day at a time. So, again, thanks for your guys' time. I'm sure Marcus wants to say something, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, uh, appreciate it, Dan. As you guys can see, uh, probably next year we're going to have to up NFL out of two hours, so I have a few minutes to talk while the show's going on. Um, because Dan is long-winded, and that's what he's gonna do anyway. <laughs> but uh, all jokes aside, I think I think it's just the excitement level uh, that that everybody has around the show. And, and listen, we all know television. You all um, work in this business. You know you're as good as the people that are behind the scenes. And I think sometimes that that gets a little lost when the analysts are out front and we're on television. Um, and obviously, we take the negativity more, um, but we also take the uh, credit more for when things work out. So um, we have a amazing team um, that that won't be on on screen supporting us, and I think that's the most important thing in my time in television. I've learned that you only as good as the people that don't show up on television, and uh, we feel like we put a great team together between Seth Martin and Mike Canby. Um, those two guys running point, lead fitting as well, running point on getting everything situated and set up. I think everybody's in a in a good spot, comfortable spot. Um, and, and if you all have ever seen myself, it's, it's trans, transparency is the most important thing. Authenticity is the most important thing and having fun. Um, I always say if I'm not having fun, I'm going to go find something else to do. And I think everybody on this show uh, relates to that. Uh, we like to enjoy what we're doing. We we like to enjoy our jobs because people obviously don't want to tune in the television and see mad people doing TV with no enthusiasm, no energy as far as where they're going. Um, I, I think one of the points that Seth Markman made, one of the execs here at ESPN, was something that's poignant. I think we need to say it. It's been so many people do tremendous work on NFL Live. 
um, since its inception in 1998. And, and the names and the list go on and some greats in this business. The NFL Live was not broken. Um, it, 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 this is not a revamp because things weren't going well or people before um, our main crew was set up and situated weren't doing their jobs at a high level. They all did their jobs at a high level, and I enjoyed my time um, working with a lot of them. Um, this this direction is something that I'm super excited about because I, I think playing on teams as long as I have been, I like to have a, a bit of responsibility um, personally to how things go. Um, so that's the, the, the point of excitement for me is that if it works or if it fails, I either know what I need to do different if it doesn't work out and if it works, uh, it's something to be proud of because you did it along with the team. And, and I, I echo a lot of what Dan said about the crew um, on NFL Live, tremendous people. I think it's important to point that out. Uh, Dan and I formulated a friendship that eventually turned into a brotherhood. Um, his kids called me uncle. Um, his wife <laughs> made me keto meals when I stayed the night at his house in Connecticut. And he got me acclimated to the worst weather that I've ever experienced in my life. Uh, in Connecticut, and he had to actually drive to the studio because we would have ended up off a cliff if I would have had to drive that morning uh, for us to do work. Um, I played with Key in Dallas. Um, I've been knowing Keyshawn for a long time. He was one of the wild vets when I was playing with the Cowboys. Um, a lot of knowledge, uh, a lot of outspokenness. I think Keyshawn embodies uh, the ability to have freedom in, your, in, in analyzing football and what you say. Yeah, provocative sometimes. People won't agree with you. Um, but at times, that's what the job calls for. I echo what Dan said about Mina. I'm, I'm not sure if I've met a more impressive, um, female, number one, um, from a mindset standpoint. She was summa cum laude at Yale. Something in my wildest, it's easier to get drafted in the NFL than to be summa cum laude at Yale. Um, and then her football acumen, um, it, it does not need to be asked about. It doesn't need to be probed. It's some, it's one of those things where people have a natural knack for what they do. And that's how I would describe, uh, Mina. She's, she's built and born to do what she's going to be doing. And that's breaking down NFL football in a in a way that, that people I think are going to enjoy more than they already know. And then Laura, and I have been working together since my inception in television over at SEC Network. Uh, I've never seen her flustered. I've never seen her in a role she didn't master and have the ability to be great at. So um, her leading the way and hosting is something that I pushed for. I want it to happen badly because of just the comfort level, but also knowing how good and um, and also how much she can challenge analysts on a television show to get it get the best out of them. Um, excitement would would be how I would describe it uh, for myself personally, but the team and, and in our interactions that we've had since this has been announced and uh, launching Monday on the 17th, but at all costs, I go back and echo what Dan said. We want to be the best sports show on television, not the best football show, not the best NFL show. We want to be the best sports show on television, and we know that's going to take a lot of hard work, and we know that the people behind the scenes 
um, are going to deserve more of the credit than what we do when we get in front of camera. Um, and that's all I have. Thank you, Alex, for giving me that time, and I look forward to you all questions. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Marcus. Yeah, let's kick off the questions. We'll start with Tom Krasovic at the San Diego Union-Tribune, and then Ben Volan with the Boston Globe. You're on deck. I'll start with Dan because I'm interested in the Raiders, and Derek Carr seems to be the key, the biggest key to their season. Then, then I'll ask uh, Marcus about the defense. Dan, uh, your thoughts on Derek as a quarterback, and basically, can he get it done? Yeah, I've actually been somebody who's who's kind of stumped for Derek over the past, I don't know, two years or so. You know, two years ago was the Raiders need to move up from I think it was four to go get Kyler Murray and. I was just like, I don't, I, I, I believe that Derek Carr is still good enough to win a bunch of football games with. And then there was some conversation, obviously, bringing Marcus this offseason. I'd say this. Where's the number one area that I want to see Derek Carr become what he was, what, three years ago when he was, he was trending really well? Uh, Derek's got to get his stinger back, meaning he's got to be willing to push the football down the field more, put the football in harm's way. I never like when people say protect the football. Um, you protect your children. You never want anything bad to happen to them. Sometimes you've got to put the football in harm's way to go be- become really, really good to great at that position to, you know, generate stuff for your offense. And you didn't see that from Derek last year. Now, there's two variables that would come into play when it comes to that. One, that's not necessarily Gruden and Olsen's offense, right? That they, those guys have been running your ball control um, completion-generated or completion-based offense for a long time. So they've also got to be more willing to call chunk plays. And then, two, you know, they didn't necessarily have anybody that was going to run by anyone. Obviously, the rugs picked. That's why they picked them. So, you know, as much pressure or as much of the burden of that falls on Derek's shoulders, and he's got to get his finger back and trust that he can make those throws week after week after week, I want to see more out of Gruden and Greg Olson. I've known those guys for a long time. I want to see more out of them to trust him to make those throws, be you know, willing to call those plays. And then Ruggs has got to be what so many thought he was going to be coming out in the draft. He's got to be the vertical speed threat that puts the fear into a defense every single play. This ball could go over our head. And so, you know, um, those that that's my viewpoint on Carr. If if he gets the 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 stinger back and they're more aggressive as an offense and rugs is very good as far as going downfield, you'll see a massive jump in really the big plays out of Carr. And then he's been so good with all the other aspects of his game, but more the the getting the stinger back, pushing the ball downfield. I'm curious what Marcus sees in the Raiders. He can pick any part of them, but uh, maybe the defense. Yeah, uh, initially, I think uh, one guy that I think people should look forward to on the offensive side is Brian Edwards as well. I watched him in South Carolina, a big physical receiver that may that maybe may make some noise by by season's end, and, and people really respect. Uh, him lining up out there as well, but defensively getting Jonathan Abram back uh, to to put a mentality on that side of the football. Obviously, he became popular on Hard Knocks, but he's a Mississippi State guy that I had a chance to watch 
He wants to, he, he seeks and destroys. And I think you have to have that in this day and age, um, in the league. You have to have force commander type guys. We see Jamal Adams obviously ended up in Seattle in that, in that role. I think Abram has, has some of the ability that Jamal has. I think he's going to give them a big boost. Cleveland Farrell and Arden Key have to come on. We know this league is a passing league now. You have to be able to rush the passer. Both of these guys on the edges, um, have to, they have to come on. And I like Malik Collins. Uh, loved him more when he was in a cowboy uniform. But the fact that I, I think he's a really good defensive tackle. He can push the pocket. He can rush the passer. Um, this is going to have to be one of those defensive crews by effort, and their best players are going to have to show up. They bring in Prince um, Amukamara, and then Damon Arnett, the cornerback from Ohio State. I know he didn't get all of the pub, but he's a hell of a football player. The defense can be really good if these guys mature fast. Um, I I need to see more pass rush, though, and that's going to be the key. I mean, we we look across the league. At that ability, we looked at the two teams that played in the Super Bowl. We looked at teams that ended up in the playoffs. They all had a guy or two that could change games up front. And and I think that's going to be the story uh, for the Raiders this year. And if not, um, they'll struggle, bottom line. If they can't get to the quarterback, if they can't create pressure, they'll struggle on that side of the ball. I feel good about the guys on the back end. It's just up front is where, where my concern is. Um, and if they can make a stride in that, I, I look forward to them being being real players as far as being able to compete. Now, obviously, you're not picking them to win the division that they're in. I would venture to say right now it looks like they're the fourth best team in the conference, even though uh, the Chargers were, were bad last year, filling through a lot of a lot of picks. But right now, you feel comfortable with the other three rosters more. But if these young players come along, I think they'll be fine. <laughs> We'll go to Ben Bolin with the Boston Globe, followed by Josh Dubow with the Associated Press. Good morning, guys. Uh, congratulations on the gig, and uh, thanks for doing this this morning. Um, quick question about Cam Newton. Uh, the Patriots are going from Tom Brady, who averages, I believe, three rushing yards per game, to uh, Cam Newton, who's one of the most accomplished uh, scrambling quarterbacks in NFL history. Uh, h- how do you expect – Josh McDaniels to incorporate Cam's uh, athletic scrambling ability, his running ability, into the offense. And with Cam going vegan and kind of losing weight and trying to slim down, can he still be big, bad Cam when he's, uh, you know, running the ball and kind of running over people? Yeah, I would say Josh is equipped to do this. You know, Josh, you know, having to coach multiple games with a bunch of different players, uh, especially at that position, you learn, okay, this guy stinks at this, so we're not going to do that, no matter quarterback or not. And so you learn to really formulate plans upon or around what people do well and, and not major in the things that they don't do well. We know Cam is, is the runner first and the thrower second. And so I'd say the first thing is, and I've said this, what's Cam's willingness to be a runner still? That is a con- a question that has to be answered because we we haven't seen that since the injury. We don't know where that is since the injury. If let, let's let's play the game of yes, Cam is willing to be the Cam that we've grown to know and appreciate. Here's the thing that it does for their offense. It 
takes away or minimizes their greatest weakness because their weakness is 100% the skill players on the outside. And it, it accentuates or maximizes their strength, which is the offensive line in the run game, even if Marcus Cannon has obviously opted out. And so, you know, here's the, the challenge when play callers go, okay, we want to run the football. And the defense doesn't respect the people on the outside. They think the receivers aren't very good the defense will always have one more player near the football than the offense, you know, because they just play one-on-one in the outside. If you've got seven guys near the football to block in your run game, the defense is going to have eight. And so that's always the challenge is trying to account for that extra player. And coaches will go in through crazy, you know, hours of film trying to scheme up ways to minimize that one player's impact. Well, when you have a running quarterback, you are now even the numbers game. You're even the playing field. And so not only can being a runner, but being the threat of a runner will help their overall run game. And then now that puts some pressure on the defense to figure out how they're going to try to contain when it's eight on eight or seven on seven. That is a massive advantage to an offense, then it becomes one-on-one football truly in the run game. So that's how I expect them to utilize Cam. Certainly, if he's willing to be the runner, do it. And then the second thing, pass game-wise, is you know, I, I, they're going to try to get the ball out of Cam's hands as fast as possible and then utilize run game action for big chunks. I'm not – a lot of people think they're going to try to do quick play action, like – get, you know, flash fake, get the ball out, quick hitters. I don't see that. I think they're going to try to get chunks uh, in their play action game because they know they're going to need it. They're not going to always – this is not going to be the Tom Brady just went nine for nine on a drive and, and hit six completions under five yards. So I think they're going to try to push the ball downfield utilizing that run action. And uh, I've said this, they won so many games offensively because they, they were the most – uh, they were the best at execution. I'd say if they're going to win games this year, they're going to do it because they're going to be the best at confusion on offense. They're going to confuse people with so much motion and shift and then post-snap kind of creativity with Cam. So um, it's a, it, it's, it, it will help them. The only question I have is can they win playing that style of football? We've seen them win a gajillion games. And they certainly have changed their style, but the foundational aspect of it was 12 and what he did with the ball. And uh, we, we have to see if they'll win consistently with Cam running that style of offense in New England. We'll go to Josh Dubow, followed by Ferd Lewis with the Honolulu Star Advertiser. Hey, Dan. I'm um, just wondering, what – do guys like uh, James Winston and Marcus Mariota need to do to get back to being the quarterbacks people thought maybe they'd be uh, earlier in their careers or coming out of college? And are there ways that being a backup for a year could help that process? Yeah, we've seen it, you know, countless times in the NFL. We obviously saw it last year in Tennessee with Ryan. I'd say, you know, they're, the, the biggest thing for both of them right now is they can – Learn playing the position and learn playing the position at a high level without having the pressure of you have to go win us football games. I've said that for a long time. That is so hard on young quarterbacks is, hey, man, you, uh, you, you've got to not only learn this playbook, but then you've got to go execute it on the field and also learn the defense's playbook and execute it against what they're doing in three seconds really well, 65 straight times. 
And also, here's pressure of winning a football game because if you don't, you're going to get, you know, handled in the media and the fans. That's just – it's a lot to take in. And so them being able to learn different offenses and learn how um, certain quarterbacks run stuff, certain quarterbacks see stuff. Man, I've always, I've always thought against cover three and running this play, my eyes should be here, or I want to move this, this defender. Now, you know what, I, I've always had a lot of success. You know, Drew Brees will be, I, I've always had success doing this with my body or this with my shoulders or playing with this type of rhythm. And then you could work on that without the pressure of, you better get this right by Sunday because we, we have to have you playing it and executing it well to win. And so just the lack of the pressure of going out and performing. Second of all, when you're a backup, you, you feel your week is different because your role changes. Your role has become so much about everybody else. It's not, uh, you know, so many backups think uh, my number one job is to be ready to play. Yeah, you're a professional football player. That is the duh. You know, like your number one job is to make sure that the third string tailback is ready to play and the number four receiver is ready to play because those guys are going to be ones that more likely impact the football game. And so you just learn different ways of thinking and communicating, and that entail helps you understand things better. And so, you know, they'll be ready to play, but I just think that lack of pressure uh, for them on a week-to-week basis will be a big deal. Can they get back? Of course. Will they get back is all about, to be honest with you, getting lucky. They got to get on the field. Teddy Bridgewater got lucky. He he got on the field for five games with a good football team and played well. So they both are their stories are not written yet, um, but they need to continue to stay impatiently impatient, impatiently patient. Meaning they got to keep on their grind and know or hope or fingers crossed that that opportunity will present itself and when it does strike. We'll go to Ferd Lewis and then Mark Craig with the Minneapolis Star Tribune. What do you see as realistic expectations for two of this year? And then with Marcus, how important is the new environment for him this year? Although um, realistic expectations for Tua should be very low. I have been outspoken. I would not play Tua till at, at the earliest the last month of the season. If you told me that, okay, the Dolphins are out of the playoff picture, but we still have good, you know, like most of our starters are healthy and we want to get Tua Tungavailoa two or three starts at the end of the season, I'm all for that. You know, I, I would 100% would do that. But there's no reason, there is no justifiable reason to put Tua on the field in September, October, or early November. You are not a playoff team or even, a, you know, you're not going to go make a playoff run this year. You're an improved football team. Your head coach nor your general manager are fighting for their jobs. The young man is, what are we, August? So I don't know, what is he, 160 or 180 days removed from questions being tied to will he ever walk again? There's no preseason football. So, like, can we allow him to get comfortable moving in his body first in an NFL environment on practice without the, you know, the the worry of, okay, can my hip really hold up? Can we give him a full year of rehab of getting his body completely strong to withstand those beatings? And so, for that reason, if I was Greer and, and Flores, I would have already come out and said, 
Tua's not going – there is no chance Tua starts in any of our first 12 games. No chance. I don't care what happens with 50. And um, I've been pretty committed to that. So I want him to get used to NFL life. I want to get him to get used to being away from Alabama. I want him to get confident in his body so he can go be the player that I saw at Alabama. And I don't want to put the pressure of or the worry of that that 1% doubt of, am I truly ready health-wise to take this hit? And what was your question for me, Marcus, the, the environment? In, uh, in Vegas, uh, how important is the new environment for him? Say that again. I'm missing the beginning part of your question. I'm not being able. To, I'm not able to hear you. How important is the new environment in Vegas for Marcus Mariota? Oh, okay. Um, I think a, a lot of to compound off of what Dan said. I, I've been a firm believer that sometimes, um, whether it be by injury or whether it be by demotion. Um, the ability to watch the game helps um, tremendously. Uh, I've seen players in my career uh, either suffer an injury and, and sit out and really be able to absorb everything that's going on from a verbiage um, standpoint, from being able to see the day in, day out of what quarterbacks can do without the pressure of having to play. And, um it, it, it speaks to a lot of what Dan just said. I think environment changes as well can rejuvenate a player. When you talk about the psychological part of it, it can give you a different scenery, a different belief system with the coaches that you're surrounded by, um, the confidence that you need for coaches to give you to go out and do your job at an effective level and, and possibly a better fit um, outside of the game. So, all of those things play into success on the field. Mariota, obviously, being from the West Coast, the westest of the West Coast, for, for all intents and purposes, getting closer to home, um, and, and being able to just be in a new environment. We all know Bruce's uh, personality. We all know how he loves quarterbacks, and he's done a good job with those guys over his career. Um, so that speaks a lot, Holly. But I think this change would be great for him. It, almost – like Tannehill leaving Miami and going to Tennessee. It could potentially do those things. And I think, too, when you look at Marcus Mariota, he needs to have more confidence playing the game. One of his major downfalls to me watching him in his time before he lost the job was that he just had no confidence in what he was doing, and he played that way. He played timid, played shook. Um, so hopefully this reinvigorates him and, and gives him the opportunity to see the game differently and hopefully either projecting project to somewhere else or if Carr is not the guy uh, for Gruden, Mariota may be able to show him some things where he can take over the reins. We'll go to Mark Craig and then Nate Davis with USA Today. Hey, guys, thanks for doing this. Uh, just curious your thoughts on, A, do you think the legal will make it through an entire season given what you see going on in college football? And B, what effect do you think all of this, these the restrictions we've seen in the preseason, what kind of impact will that have on the product once we finally get to the field? I'll take this one, Dan. Um, to to the first part of that question, um, 
the league will trudge ahead. They're, they're, they are going to be intent on finishing the season. Obviously, plans, protocols have shown. We saw it in Major League Baseball. Um, you can have all of the preparation and planning you want to have, but COVID is going to reach the NFL. Players are going to come down with COVID. The NFL, I think, is going to present the information to us publicly um, that they are going to move forward and just go about either having to replace guys or um, playing without them. When you look at what Major League Baseball did, which I think is the the, the best blueprint, um, the Marlins team, obviously, they had to postpone some games. If the, if the NFL does that, um, possibly not having a chance to make up those games creates a major issue. But there's been nothing I've had conversations with, with people in the league office, with people around the game and players themselves that they believe would stop the season with one caveat if COVID runs rampant on every single team in the league. If it's isolated situation, if it's four or five guys on the team that gets it, um, yeah, that may affect that individual team depending on who those players are as far as performing on Sunday, Saturday, Thursday, whenever they play. Uh, but they are going to play. They're going to continue to play. And that's been their plan from the forefront. This was a very simple process for the NFL as well. We see in college with the Big Ten and Pac-12 already announcing that they're not going to play. And one of the issues has been there is no way to streamline the conversation about if we want to play or not. Um, unlike in professionally, you got the union, you got the commissioner and the owners. If we come up with an agreement, if we come up with protocols, we're going to play. So they play in the forge ahead uh, during the season. And to the second part of your question, I think you're going to see a lot of football that we haven't seen in a while when it comes to um, not looking good. But it won't take long. These guys are pros. There's a tremendous amount of respect for how these guys and how quickly they get back to, quote, unquote, football shape, football acumen, uh, the level of the game that they can play. Um, you feel bad for the rookies. Uh, Joe Burrow comes to mind, the, the pressure to be a starter, not having a full off season, not actually being in the building, uh, will be a, a tough road uh, to go forward. But listen, it is going to be, I, I believe, for the first couple weeks, we're gonna see some things that, as far as execution, um, trying to make sure everybody's on the same page with new with new players on teams, uh, not the ability to go through and actually compete. Uh, day in, day out, not having the opportunity to go practice other teams during training camp and obviously not having uh, a few plays in preseason to test yourself out against other teams that are throwing things at you. We may see some effects of that, but it, it won't take long for them to get going and it be NFL football like we know it. Let me let me add two things to that. I'd say, I'd say first of all, um, when it comes to the players and, and – can they pull it off or how will they pull it off or will they pull it off? I, I, I'd say watch Hard Knocks last night and listen to Sean McVay saying, you know, referencing the, the Marlins and look at what has happened with the Twins. And I believe two of their players were caught or whatever in, in doing something outside of kind of the protocol or the, the rules that 
have come across with baseball and, and they've been in trouble. They've gotten fined and now they've, you know, their teammates have been outspoken about them letting them down. There's 32 head coaches in the NFL and all 32 will be using those examples constantly. And so, you know, I think that everyone needs to be reminded that not everybody's perfect in the NFL, but these dudes are professionals and they take their craft very, very prideful. And, you know, a lot of them were forced with a decision a week ago of, okay, can I play football and live in this environment that is set up for us or do I opt out? And a lot of them know the only way to make it through this season and get their money is to avoid doing some of the things that they've done in their life in the past. So, no, they're probably not going to be able to go to big dinners during the season or the, the movie theater or a bowling alley or a club, whatever. And a lot of the guys I trust will make those decisions because the head coaches will be constantly on top of them in regards to that. And, two, they've set up the fine system. And and if you break something like that, if you get fine, found breaking a thing, a, something when it comes to the coronavirus protocol, then you're going to get fined. And three, there's a great amount of accountability in NFL locker rooms and not wanting to let each other down for a great majority of the NFL. And so that's why I trust, you know, kind of them being the, able to pull that off. And the second part would be this about what kind of football we're going to see. Yes. You know, we don't have camp, and so it, it is certainly going to look, and no preseason games, it's certainly going to look different. This is also the freshest group of NFL players we've ever had. These guys have not had the burden of an, a full-off season and sometimes the wearing down of the body that starts in March, April, May, June, and coaches that push the envelope. You know, when I was in Indy, Bill Polian would not allow guys to start their offseason till May. June because of the amount of snaps they played during the previous season because he wanted them fresh for that football season in the coming future. And so, you know, trying to look at it in a positive aspect or two, this is the freshest we will ever see these NFL football players, and that that will pay dividends at some point in this season. We'll go to Nate Davis and then John Kine with ESPN Washington, D.C. Hi guys, congratulations and thanks thanks for the time here. Um, I wanted to ask you both uh, just about your thoughts uh, on yesterday's, you know, with the with the Pac-12 and, and Big Ten. Um, your your thoughts on on how this uh, impacts next year's draft. And, and I thought Marcus, maybe you, as, a, as a guy who's a first round pick out of LSU, you could maybe answer from a player perspective for guys like with Justin Fields and and for Trevor Lawrence potentially later. Uh, Micah Parsons might be might be dealing with. And then Dan, I thought maybe you could put on the GM hat for me. Uh, and if you're an NFL GM and you know a guy like Joe Douglas, you wonder if he's got buyer's remorse having traded a commodity like Jamal Adams for 20, 21 first round picks. That you know, what, what do you do with those now? And, and those seem nippier than ever. Um, just you know, throw one out out there and see, see what you guys what you guys' thoughts are. Man, you got it. I went first last. Yeah, okay. Um, I'd say this. This all comes down to when you're drafting traits versus production. And that's the fine balancing act of drafting in the NFL is, man, this player was so productive in college football. Okay, now the reasons he were was productive were his traits and obviously scheme and people he's around, but were his traits. Will those traits allow him to be as productive 
when he comes into the NFL. And so, yeah, you're, like, there is going to be a challenge tied to this for the NFL scouts and GMs, absolutely. But the tape is the tape is the tape. It always has been and always will be. You, you, it's not like these guys that you're going to draft have never played college football. You know, like Michael Parsons played a, a lot of football last year for Penn State. And so when you watch him play and you love his tape and he was a super productive linebacker, okay, will those traits, translates for us in the NFL. Do we believe that the, the player on the field can carry over the things he did trait-wise and talent-wise onto an NFL football field? Justin Fields had a great season last year, and he was super productive. The, the skills that he has at the quarterback position when it comes to getting his body in a line to throw, the decision-making, the tempo of the, the trajectory of the football, how how he grew from barely playing some at Georgia, transferring, can this guy be a thrower of the football early in the season, and then watching him progress, does that trait transfer over to the NFL? And those are these conversations that these teams will have in in meeting rooms and whatnot. And, and you know, I could absolutely see the NFL allows 30 visits. The NFL should allow 50 visits. You know, they should up the amount of times you can bring a guy onto your grounds. Let's, let's make the hypothetical world of we're in a better place as a society in a world in the next spring. Can, are we, are we going to be allowed to bring more people onto our facility grounds? Can we bring the same guy multiple times? And so, you know, there'll, there'll have to be some adjustment by the NFL, but this all comes down to traits versus production. The one-year starter thing for some guys, Joe Burrow was basically a one-year starter as well, guys. He, he started for two years at LSU, and the first year not many people watched because it was a totally different experience for him. So um, I think that, like, there is a little bit of, like, uh-oh, what are we going to do? And there will be challenges. Um, but there's definitely ways when you're good at what you do, this should not have tremendous impact on what you're going to do. Joe Douglas will be fine with how he drafts. Yeah, I, I, the, the impact for me is a bit different, and I use uh, the guys that, that were either fringe guys to be drafted, the difference one season can make, um, or even guys that would be undrafted being in a better situation um, and having the opportunity to play. And then two transfers. Jamie Newman transferred to Georgia. If the SEC doesn't play, um, they're going to have to go off film from two years ago. Um, so it's just a lot of things that, that this, this presents that will be difficult um, for the evaluation process. But I'm more in line with Dan saying, look, guys, go out and do your jobs, right? You, you draft, obviously, off seeing film, but you also draft off speculation, measurables, what you think guys will turn into, if not for their rookie season uh, going down the road. Um, you know, when I was coming out, as as a, as a draft pick in in 05, I just I mean it was the normal process, and I could not imagine um, being in this particular predicament as a senior um, if you haven't already established yourself as as a potential either first round draft pick or a, a high round draft pick, and you put the off season work in and, and tried to give yourself the best opportunity to jump the board. Joe Burrow may have been a free agent before this past season. Um, he may have been a six, seven-round pick. Um, now you go from that to being the first pick of the draft. That can happen. 
we just saw it happen. And then the Big Ten and Pac-12 decision making, I, I've been very careful on, on being critical or even um, having a lot of thoughts about it. I'm medical professionals, uh, people that are more ingrained with how to go about dealing with COVID-19, uh, I would like to think it's what the decision was based off of for those two particular conferences. Um, yeah, there's there's a tremendous amount of collateral damage, uh, not only to the players, but guys that won't ever play the game again. Um, for seniors that may have the option to come back, now you got a freshman class, class coming in, and, and now you deal with a numbers issue. Um, you also have things that have an effect outside of the stadium. Um, cities, these little towns that major college football teams are in, especially my background in the SEC that literally thrive off of a, a four- to five-month football season. So it's a lot of things, man. When the Big Ten announced it, Pac-12 announced it, I think everybody had an emotional reaction to it, a, a bit of shock. Never in my lifetime would I, would I have thought that it would potentially be no football in the fall, but, but here's where we are. And you know, I, the Pac-12 Big Ten, they made a decision, hopefully based off what medical professionals told them, and we'll see how the other three conferences uh, of the Power Five go about making their decision. But um, it's just a tough year, man. It's a tough year for college football uh, to that point, though. They they cannot streamline a message. Conferences are basically on their own. NCAA has been quiet about um, giving kind of an overall view of what, what should happen. Uh, so when you don't have one, two, or three parties that can get together and make a decision to go forward with risk, because every league is doing it with risk, uh, this is, this is I think, a byproduct of it. So uh, with that being said, I, it, it will affect a part of the process in the draft. It will affect guys personally, emotionally. Um, so it's just an unfortunate situation that, that – a lot of these guys can't can't play uh, this year in, in two conferences as of right now. We'll go to John Kine and then Childs Walker with the Baltimore Sun. Hey, congrats, guys. For Dan, I'm curious your your expectations for Dwayne Haskins based on what we saw last year, based on what you saw and heard about him in the offseason and then having to learn a new offense. For Marcus, expectations for Chase Young. Yeah, here's so uh, for Dwayne Haskins, his performance for me will be so much more about off the field than on the field. On the field, they don't have much help. Their offensive line is probably going to be subpar. McLaurin's a superstar, but that's really it. Harmon obviously has the injury, so that's a big blow. Hopefully, Trey Quinn's back and healthy. But like to ask me to sit here and have high expectations for Dwayne on the field is so unrealistic and unfair. Now, this is what I want to see, because it's going to be a difficult season for Dwayne. Can you handle the suckiness of the NFL as a quarterback? Because I want to see, do you have the maturity to lead us through this transition, to lead us through difficult and dark times? Can you be locked in mentally, and be the CEO of our billion-dollar company. I know, Dwayne, I know 
that what is around you is not fair. And I know that there's other young quarterbacks that got a lot more help. We will get there. But I need to see you every single day be our leader and, and be the guy that is bringing us what we need off the field, even when we are struggling. I don't want to see finger pointing, and I don't want to see your head hang, hang low. And I also I, I don't like, I want you to accept struggle, and I don't want you to accept failure or losing. I just want to see you steer us through it. That, for me, will be much more important than what Dwayne Haskins does on the field because I am a realistic person and seeing they don't have much help. Now, learning a new offense. Listen, learning a new offense, like, that's part of playing. That's part of the, the world of the NFL. If you're super fortunate, like a Drew Brees, and you can play in the same system for 14-plus years, that, that's awesome. And Tom, you know, Tom, they also changed offenses in New England sporadically. And so uh, if there's a challenge to it. He's a super bright kid. I know there's a narrative out there that he struggled last year. I just don't see that on tape. And so – you know, from what I have studied from him, him at Ohio State and studied from him within his rookie year and then seen and heard from him for this offseason, him learning a new offense will not be a challenge. He will grasp it. He can handle the moment. I want to see, do I trust and believe in Dwayne Haskins off the field as the leader of our organization as much as I believe in his talent on the football field as a performer or an execution, executor of our offense. Yeah, and, and on the other side of the ball, Chase Young will be in the conversation. Uh, if not this year, we'll see the, the flashes of the Bosa brothers. We'll see him be in the conversation with the Von Millers and the, 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 all of the guys that, that are highly effective. Uh, getting to the passer. He is as ready to be a defensive end, outside linebacker, whatever you want him to play, but defensive end in the NFL. He was ready last year to be a superstar in the NFL. He is um, he is everything you want a guy to be at that position, especially day one coming in. He's long. He's rangy. He has the uncanny ability to bend. Um, around the edge, and when I say bend, that means how low can you get to the ground without losing speed and closing to the quarterback. He's strong enough to play the run and set the edge. Um, this was as sure of a pick as it could possibly be, um, like so many guys, so many guys we've seen. So Chase Young is going to he's going to enhance this defense tremendously on all three levels because people are going to have to game plan for him. Um, and I like this D-line. I mean, Jonathan Allen, if he can stay healthy, he has shown he can be a star, a star in the stud at defensive tackle. The Ron Payne is your quintessential shade technique that can be big, physical, push the pocket on pass rush, but also be a stalwart in the middle. And then Montez Sweat, who is coming on long, rangy. Can't forget about Kerrigan. Thomas Davis came over, provides some leadership. This is, this is, this should be a really good defense and then landed on the back end. Uh, we worked with Jack Del Rio last year on NFL Live. Um, Jack watched as much film for NFL Live uh, as anybody, but he was preparing like a coach. So I don't expect him to miss a beat either with getting these guys going. And his big thing is he wants to force pressure. He wants to be able to rush with four and let his back end play and track the ball down. And the fact that they added Chase Young in this draft, 
only enhances that, and he'll be a guy that we talk about for years to come. He'll get one of these ungodly contracts when it's time for him to come up after this rookie deal, and he'll be in the he'll be in the leader for sacks every year. So it's not enough good things I can say about him because as a football player, he's exactly what you want to be a defensive end. And we'll go to Charles Walker with the Baltimore Sun. Um, hey, guys. Um, Lamar Jackson could not have had a much better 2019. But uh, what's the next frontier for him? Um, you know, Dan, I'm interested in your view as a former quarterback of where he can still throw. And, Marcus, I'm interested in your view as a defender of, you know, what he can do to make himself even more difficult to play. Um, I'd say this for Lamar. Um, people take this the wrong way. I don't really care what Lamar does in the regular season. I love watching him. He's absolutely spectacular. I expect him to have a similar season this year that he did last year. The guy's remarkable. Yes, the the unfair expectation is what are you going to do when it becomes win or go home? And he got way too much blame for last year. I'd say this. People have said – uh, you know what? He's got to get better at throwing the ball at the numbers, outside of the numbers. Why? Like, why does he have to get better at throwing the ball outside the numbers? Maybe that's just not what their offense is predicated upon. Maybe their play caller and, and their quarterback coach go, this isn't something that Lamar's great in. So why am I going to ask him to do it? Like, that, I get hung up on that, and I've heard people say that. I just don't agree with that. Um I will be interested in two things in seeing how they impact Lamar. One, the loss of Marshall Yanda. Um, I just think it doesn't get talked about enough. You can make the case that he was their best player. And them losing their best player, or maybe at worst their second best player, is not an easy thing to replicate or just plug and play because of the style of their offense. And then two, them moving on from Hayden Hurst. You know, they were a team that was so difficult, and I, I talked about this all season. They were so difficult to just line up against last year because of their three tight end sets. And it made things, I don't want to say easy for Lamar, but it made things um, simpler to understand for Lamar. Simpler to, I know where I'm going to go with the football before the ball ever gets snapped because of the way you're lined up versus our three tight end sets. And them not having that, or, or at least Hayden, who is going to replace Hayden, and will he be as impactful, and will they run as many three tight end sets? Because when you're running those three tight end sets, man, it just it simplifies so much stuff. And so I want to see how them kind of navigating that impacts Lamar. I don't think he needs to get better at throwing the ball outside the numbers. You want to see people get better at all that stuff, of course. But, like, it's not going to be this – this handicapping or handcuffing aspect of his game. You know, he will replicate last year very much so. He will continue to be one of the most electrifying and best players in football. When it comes, win or go home, and your team falls down 10 nothing or 14-3, and the style of offense that you guys want to play isn't um, applicable anymore. You can't play that anymore because the, we're in the second quarter and there's only so much time in the game. Can you can you kind of overcome those deficiencies and still be the best player on the field? That's what I'll be watching for Lamar um, and really for Baltimore this season. Yeah, you said as a defensive player, what, 
was what was that question again? Hi, Jose, you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Um, I, I would say Marcus. Because I think as a defender, he was asking me, "What would you, what would you, what would you want to uh, Lamar to do um, if if you defend against him?" I think it goes to what Dan said. You would want him to be a passer more than having all of the bad, all of the tools that he has the ability to use. Um, and when I say more of a passer, that's not to slight his ability to throw the football. He did it at a high clip and at a high level. Um, but you want to die that way to Lamar Jackson as opposed to giving him the whole gambit of things um, that, that he obviously can do at a very high level. And then you got to limit the people around him. I don't think it gets talked about enough. Um, and I think Dan brought up a great point about Marsha Yonder. I had the opportunity to play against him. He was unbelievable. Um, at the guard spot, but also the Ravens ran the ball very well last year, which helped Lamar uh, in the play action game, which helped him push the ball downfield. They were in a lot of funky sets uh, for defenses. It was a different type of game plan uh, when you had become accustomed to playing the conventional offenses. Um, so I want to see how he adjusts to that. If all if defensive coordinators have figured out a way to limit some of the things that Baltimore was able to exploit with the three tight end sets, um, having the ability to pull a lot of people in the box and make it one-on-one situations on the outside, um, how they adjust, and then how Lamar counteracts that. But I don't have any – like the one thing I would tell my defense if we were playing against Lamar Jackson is make sure you say your prayers the night before the game and hope that he's not <laughs> on because that's the only way he's not going to have success if he's not on, because um, he's going to get you, and he's going to get you a number of times. I played against guys like that. Um, they're going to get you. A bad game for those guys is, is is only having two touchdowns. So it'll be interesting to see how he adjusts to the adjustments that defensive coordinators will make to him this year. And then obviously we all want to know um, when they get in the playoffs how he's going to uh, lift his team beyond what he's been able to do the first uh, two years. Can he take that next step like we saw Mahomes do, come from deficits, make game-winning plays, make game-changing plays? Um, so that's, that's the only question we have is once it gets into one of those situations where he's behind. Unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for today. If I didn't get to something, if you still have a question, please feel free to email me and I will do my best to help. But otherwise, thanks for being here. Stay healthy. And we hope you'll join us next week, weekdays, Dan and Marcus and crew at 4 p.m. Eastern. Thanks so much.